0: they took charge of Jesus. He went out, carrying his cross, and came to the place of the skull, as it is called. In Hebrew, it is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and they also crucified two other men, one on each side, with Jesus between them. Pilate wrote a notice and had it put on the cross. Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews, is what he wrote. People read it because the place where Jesus was crucified was not far from the city. The notice was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. The chief priest said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but rather, this man said, I am the king of the Jews.
1: What I have written stays written.
0: After the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier. They also took the robe, which was made of one piece of woven cloth without any seams in it. The soldiers said to one another, Let's not tear it. Let's throw dice to see who will get it. This happened in order to make the scripture come true. They divided my clothes among themselves and gambled for my robe. And this is what the soldiers did. Standing close to Jesus' cross were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Jesus saw his mother and the disciple he loved, standing there. He is your son. Then he said to the disciple,
1: She is your mother.
0: From that time, the disciple took her to live in his home. Jesus knew that by now, everything had been completed. And in order to make the scripture come true, he said. I am thirsty. A bowl was there, full of cheap wine. So a sponge was soaked in the wine, put on a stalk of hyssop, and lifted up to his lips. Jesus drank the wine. It is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. then the Jewish authorities asked Pilate to allow them to break the legs of the men who had been crucified and to take the bodies down from the crosses they requested this because it was Friday and they did not want the bodies to stay on the crosses on the Sabbath since the coming Sabbath was especially holy so the soldiers went and broke the legs of the first man and then of the other man who had been crucified with Jesus But when they came to Jesus they saw that he was already dead so they did not break his legs. One of the soldiers, however, plunged his spear into Jesus' side. And at once blood and water poured out. who saw this happen has spoken of it so that you may also believe what he said is true and he knows that he speaks the truth this was done to make the scripture come true not one of his bones will be broken and there is another scripture that says people will look at him whom they pierced After this, Joseph, who was from the town of Arimathea, asked Pilate if he could take Jesus' body. Joseph was a follower of Jesus, but in secret, because he was afraid of the Jewish authorities. Pilate told him he could have the body. So Joseph went and took it away. Nicodemus, who at first had gone to see Jesus at night, went with Joseph, taking with him about 100 pounds of spices, a mixture of myrrh, The two men took Jesus' body and wrapped it in linen cloths with the spices according to the Jewish custom of preparing a body for burial. There was a garden in the place where Jesus had been put to death and in it there was a new tomb where no one had ever been buried. Since it was the day before the Sabbath, and because the tomb was close by, they placed Jesus' body there.
2: The story today takes place at Golgotha, which means Hill of the Skull, or the Skull Hill, Calvary. This is a picture of that hill. You see holes in the side of the hill that look kind of like eyes. You might think it to resemble a skull. Anyway, you can see why it is named that. And there's a garden beside this hill and a tomb in the side of the hill. So it's all right there. How convenient for tourist attractions. But this is what the scriptures say, that the garden was nearby and the tomb was there. And so it's all there to see. At the top of this hill is where the crosses stood. They have a fence there. There's a story told of B.O. Moody, the evangelist, a hundred years ago or so, that went there and stood where the crosses stood and preached the gospel made the Muslims mad, so they put up a fence to keep the gospel from being proclaimed. What a significant place on the earth. My father went there and jumped over the fence and grabbed a rock and brought it home, so I kind of grew up with this rock in our house. and My dad said, yes, that's from Calvary, boy, but I think occasionally they probably jumped that fence and put more rocks in there for tourists to get. I'd like to point out just a few little things here. They put a sign on his cross, which is not uncommon to nailed the reason why a person was being executed, his crime, and his crime was being who he was. Jesus of Nazareth, that's who he was, where he was from, king of the Jews, that's who he was. It was written in three languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Hebrew was the language of God's people, the language of worship, the language of the Old Testament, the language of religion. Greek was a language of the world. The Greeks had conquered the world. The Romans came behind them and conquered the Greek empire. But the Greek language and that part of the culture of the empire stuck. So Greek was a language of everybody and it's a language of the New Testament. Latin was a language of the governing powers, the language of the authorities in place. And the Latin language impacts laws even to this day. Things like habeas corpus and other things you will hear referred to that are Latin words that relate to the legal realm. So let the legal world know, let the religious world know, let the Old Testament, the New Testament and the international world know Jesus of Nazareth is king. Significant proclamation that Pilate refused to remove. Also notice that they wanted to bury him on the day before, you know, he was killed the day before the Sabbath and they wanted to bury him. And so By mistake, the translators of the TEV version said it was Friday, and that's not what it said. It said it was the preparation day, the day before the Sabbath, and the Sabbath was a, verse 31, was a high Sabbath. It was a Sabbath that was not the seventh-day Sabbath, but a Sabbath related to a festival. The Jewish feast days often had Sabbaths in them that were not the seventh day. If you study the Old Testament, you'll come across this. And so it makes perfect sense because Christ said he was going to be like Jonah was in the billy of the wheel for three days and three nights. So will the Son of Man be in the earth for three days and three nights. So if you die on Friday and you raise from the dead on Sunday, that's not three days and three nights. It makes a great three-day weekend, but that's not what happened. I believe he died on the Wednesday, the day before a high Sabbath, which would have been a Thursday. And so you got Thursday, Friday, Saturday. There's three full days and three full nights before He rose from the dead. I believe he fulfilled his own prediction. Also notice that the secret followers, the secret disciples, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, came out of hiding and went public with their faith when they buried him in the tomb that was nearby that belonged to Joseph of Arimathea. And it had been prophesied he would be buried with the rich. And so it is that it happened that way. Before I announce the title today, today's title will be announced at the finishing of the sermon. I'd like to observe three things. The source of Christ's strength, a demonstration of wickedness or man's weakness, how evil we can be, and Jesus' completion of our redemption. So His strength, our wickedness, and His redemption that becomes our redemption. His strength, our wickedness, His redemption that becomes our redemption the source of his strength, what enabled him to go through that torture? What gave him strength? Hebrews 12.1 says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Despising the shame, but he endured the cross for the sake of the joy before him. Just like in the realm of sports, people will suffer and pay a price to get fit, And fight the contest and put their bodies through torturous conditions for the sake of the joy, the trophy, the cheers, the approval of their comrades. Before them, they'll go through the trial, the struggle, the test, the temptation. Christ did that. But how did He know about that day? Obviously, as God, being all-knowing, He would know that. But living as a man, anointed by the Holy Spirit, emptying Himself of His divine powers... According to Philippians, he became one of us, lived the life of a human as a slave, and died the death of a criminal. He limited himself in what he knew and related to God like we relate to God through the Scriptures. So I believe he knew what was ahead of him because of the Scriptures. Look at this. Verse 28 of John 19 says, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. So what is on his mind when he's going through that trial? He's remaining silent. And when he does speak, he's asking for mercy for his persecutors. When he does speak, he's given an assignment to his mother to take care of one of his disciples and his disciple to take care of his mother. When he does speak, he's saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But he does not let man know that he's hurting or his needs, until he knows that he's fulfilled all the scriptures, then he says, I'm thirsty. His mind was on the word of God. Psalm 22 is a perfect picture of what someone would go through in his position of being crucified. It begins with the words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning. This is his words being spoken from the cross, not just because he's suffering torture from humans, but he's suffering the torture of being separated from his father. By becoming sin, becoming us, becoming sin, and receiving the punishment that is ours to receive, the consequences of our sin, he had to be separated from his father for however long that was. It was great pain. The psalmist goes on to say, I am a worm, verse 6, and no man, a reproach of men and despised by people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake their heads saying, He trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. This is the mocking that he had to hear. If you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. If you're the Son of God, where's your father at? If you can rebuild the temple in three days, why are you putting up with this? Mocking him. And he could hear it. I know in some of the movies of Jesus, they got him up on a high mountain, way high above the people. But I don't think that was the case. Because when they gave him the sponge with vinegar, they put it on a hyssop stick. And hyssop grows three feet maximum length, usually two to three feet. So with a two to three foot stick, they're able to reach his mouth. That lets you know he's now way up there. So he could hear people whispering, people mocking, people talking to one another. So he's hearing the scripture be fulfilled. So he's being reminded of Psalm 22. Verse 14, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue clings to my jaws. That sounds like thirst, doesn't it? You have brought me to the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. Verse 17. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. Through the beating he had gone through, his bones were visible, being stretched out like he was. Everybody could see him there in his nakedness. Verse 19, they divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. This is what he's going through. I want to say this, he became poor that we might be made rich, and through his poverty we've been made rich, we have a right relationship with God, and compared to to the life he had in heaven, to the life he had on earth, he was a pauper. But he wasn't in rags. He had a treasurer that took care of his funds for the ministry, and that treasurer was a crook, and yet Jesus' ministry still prospered. And he had clothes that soldiers fought over. Here they are gambling for one of his garments. Bloody as it might be, they still wanted it. And here he is tasting the ultimate of poverty, stripped naked before the world. Why did he do all this? For the joy set before him. How did he do all this? By keeping his mind on the scriptures. And for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. The closest I've ever come to being tortured was about with kidney stones a few years ago. In the middle of the night, had to go to the emergency room. It seemed like it took forever to get there. It seemed like it took forever for my wife to get ready and get in the car and drive me there. And when I'm in the emergency room, there's nothing I can do to get relief. But I found one thing that helped. And that was to get on my knees there in the waiting room. This was in the days before they had the billboard bragging about how fast they are. So it seemed like hours. It may may not have been. But I'm on my knees. Grasping the chair, and my wife is sitting beside me, reading me the scriptures. And as I'm hearing the word of God, I'm enduring great pain, and I discover, man, this helps. This helps to focus my mind. In this, for me, it was the worst pain I'd ever felt. Focus my mind on the promises of God, and I got maybe an appetizer, a little hors d'oeuvre, just a just a crumb of what helped him go through. His trial, which doesn't even begin to compare with kidney stone. But he did this for the joy set before him. This painting is in our home. To me, it's the best thing Kathy Quest has ever done. Jesus, she said it's Hebrews 12, 1, for the joy set before him. He endured the cross. And so she said the gold in front of Jesus is the joy set before him. And the red behind Jesus is the cross that he's enduring for the joy set before him. Listen to how Psalms 22 ends. Now keep in mind, Psalms 22 comes before Psalm 23. We all love the Lord as my shepherd, I shall not want. But Keep in mind that shepherd went through chapter 22 in order for us to taste chapter 23. And chapter 22 ends with this promise, the poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek Him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's and He rules over the nations. So there He is for the joy set before Him. He's ruling over His own flesh. He's ruling over His pain. He's ruling over unforgiveness and bitterness. He's ruling over the temptation to be vengeful and call 7,000 angels down to wipe them out. He's ruling over sin. Through thinking on the Word. We know He knew the Word. At the age 12, He could teach adults who were professional teachers. So this was a source of His strength, and it could be a source of our strength. Here's a demonstration of our wickedness He said, I thirst. The next verse, 29, now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop. Remember, that's a stalk about two to three feet in length and put it to his mouth. This was a fulfillment of prophecy. Verse 21 of Psalm 69, they also gave me gall for my food. What is gall? It's bile. This is worse than heartburn. And for my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. Who's been really thirsty? Anybody ever been dehydrated? You ever thought, oh, I could use a nice lukewarm glass of vinegar right now? Not only was it nasty, it was painful. Now, the movie just randomly has a bowl of vinegar sitting there at the foot of the cross. Oh, here's a bowl of vinegar. Let's give him some. My mind just doesn't quite buy that culturally, what was going on. So this has always messed with my brain. But I thought they did it to be mean. Others said they did it to kill pain. I don't know that vinegar kills pain. It might cause you to forget pain you have because of the other pain you're having. It might open up your sinuses. It might, like an antiseptic on a wound, it might sting, cause other pains. Mark Driscoll, pastor of Mars Hill Church in Seattle, Washington, went to the Holy Land, and this is what he learned. Sponges, were things used in public restrooms in the days before toilet paper was invented. Watch this.
3: And so what they would do is they would take a sea sponge on a stick and they would moisten it in the fresh water and then put it into the hole where the person was sitting and scrub them after they went to the bathroom. And that over time they realized that one sponge for hundreds of people caused some to get infections. And so then they would cleanse it with vinegar or sour wine as a disinfectant. And all of a sudden, a part of the Bible made sense. Do you remember the part? Jesus is being crucified. And as he's being crucified, he's and he just got saying, Father, forgive them. The Bible says they took a stick and they tried to shove it in his mouth with a sponge on the end. That was the stick. And that was the sponge. Which means that that was the last taste in Jesus' mouth on the cross. That was the last smell in Jesus' nose on the cross. And then Jesus said with those lips covered in that filth and he says it is finished. What is finished? Forgiveness. The atonement of sin. The forgiveness of the atrocity that is your life and mine. And if Jesus could forgive those people in that moment for that act with that taste in his mouth, he could forgive anyone for everything. Amen? I always read that section of Scripture and thought it was nice that they gave Jesus a bit of compassion in his moment of greatest need. And I realized... There was no compassion for Jesus. There was no love and respect and appreciation for Jesus. But there was a lot of love and respect and compassion from Jesus. For people like me. Who in our own ways have just taken the sponge of our life and shoved it in his mouth. And what he says is, I forgive you. And I have finished the work of salvation. I have paid for all of your sins. And I love you.
2: Third thing I observe from this passage is his completion of our redemption. Can we say the word completion? When he had received the vinegar or the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Can we say those words? He did not say, I am finished, because he was not finished. He's going to rise from the dead. But the work of redeeming us is finished. The word he used, teleostai, is related to the word teleo, which means to end or complete, to accomplish, to make an end of doing, to conclude, to discharge a debt, or to pay. When he was saying, it is finished, this is what he was saying. Paid in full. The remedy for sin was in him. The debt we couldn't pay that we owed, he paid but didn't owe in full. Why do you beat yourself up for your sin? Or why do you beat someone else up for their sin? Or why do you strive for approval in the eyes of men when it's been purchased already? in the eyes of God. The title here at the finish is Jesus is finished. He is finished redeeming you and I. He is finished with the work required to secure the bridge to heaven that is through Him. This pulpit one time was just raw lumber. It was a tree that was fashioned by skilled laborers And hard work was done with machinery and with sweat and with hand, with paint and with sandpaper. There came a day when the building inspector at the factory said, it is finished." finished. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I would pray, Lord, that they would relax and rest in your finished work. That you have done for them. That the full impact of the gospel. Would be applied to our hearts and minds. To our families. To our neighbors. To our loved ones. And even to our enemies. Lord it is finished. Help us to believe that. Not just give mental assent to that. But to embrace it. With all of our hearts live in light of your finished works. Amen. These were Christ's last words before dying. There's something final about this.
3: Something final.
2: Buddha is probably one of the most respected prophets in the history of the world because... A lot of atrocities haven't been committed in his name. And his last words, if you do a search on the last words of Buddha, translated from the language he spoke, you'll find words like strive on untiringly, work harder, give vigilance towards excellence. What a contrast between that and you don't have to strive, you don't have to work, You just receive. And any goodness that comes out of us isn't for anything. It's from. Not for His approval, but it's from His approval. I'm inspired, therefore I serve. I don't serve to be inspired. I'm inspired because He served. And therefore I got to show some love to someone. When somebody's been good to you, what do you do? It blows you away. It's awesome. You become thankful and you try to respond in some positive way. Receive the full benefit of His finished work for you, and for your neighbor, for your family, for your parents, for your children, for your siblings, and even for your enemies. And make room for the finished work of Jesus to have its full impact in every area. And we stand. And as a result of His finished work, we have direct access to heaven to pray with one another, to pray prayers of agreement. The minute I'm going to have the prayer team come and join me across the front. If you'd like to receive prayer for anything, we would love to pray with you because... Of the finished work of Christ. He's not finished with you. But he's finished redeeming you. You can't be any more redeemed than you already are. And the impact of your redemption will redeem all the situations that, that concern you. And we would love to pray with you and minister life to you. So if the prayer team, if you guys could come on up right now and join me across the front. And anyone here that would like to receive prayers, we sing a closing song. One up to one of these people, one of these men or women. Come and let us let us pray with you. Amen.
1: To him who sits on
2: what this song comes from is a description of John's vision of heaven. They said heaven is filled and the throne of God is surrounded by worshipers who keep seeing the same thing over and over and it's not because they're automatons or they don't know any other words in language but because every time they look at God they see a new facet of him that they've never seen before and out of them comes this wow, 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 wow. Wow.
1: Blessing and honor and glory and power be blessing and honor and
2: glory and power forever. Just superlative after superlative after superlative. Another place in Revelation that it's recorded that they say holy, holy, holy to him who was and is and is to come. But literally John wrote the word holy nine times. Holy, 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 holy. holy, holy him who was and who is to come and the translators by mistake thought they should shorten it and help him out alright John we got the point the point is the word holy is a superlative it means set apart it means pure it means without peer it's, it's a stand alone word you, you, can't, you can't improve on it holy is holy you can say holiest but it still means holy right But you can add another holy to modify it. Like, how white is that car? That car is white, white. How dark was the night? That night was black, black. Well, God is holy, holy, holy,
1: holy.